Well, greetings and salutations once again from the great state of Alabama. It has been a hot one today, but hey, it's summertime. That's what happens in the summertime. Seems like it's been a long time since I've been uh, on the Facebook Live. And so, uh, it's well overdue for me anyway. And today I thought we'd just talk about several different things. I have one question to answer that someone gave to me. And then I'm going to talk about uh, several topics that I posted about earlier. Uh, so on my list, just as an advertiser for you, uh, idolatry is the first thing we're going to deal with. Aliens, since we've just had a lot of news about aliens. Uh, second, is something that's um, constantly on my mind as it relates to uh, we as Christians pushing back against the depravity of culture, and that's language jamming which the left is really good at. So we'll talk about that. Then I thought well, I, uh, in, included in that uh, mind idea is uh, we'll talk about global warming a little bit and some of the, some of the dangers that, uh, when I say dangers, some of the uh, political dangers that may be coming down the pike if we are not aware or if we don't stay aware, if we're not awake about what's happening around the world and ultimately will find its way to us here in the United States. And then finally, if we can get to that, <clears throat> at least something to ponder at the end, which will raise more questions uh, for for many people. And so if you have those questions, when we get to this topic, the omniscience of God, the all-knowing uh, nature of God, then, uh, you know, you can shoot those questions to me. But it's, uh, I want to give you something to ponder uh, a little bit about God and think about as it relates to him and ultimately his work in, in salvation. But anyway, let's uh, don't forget, uh, been, been a minute, so I almost forgot. Uh, Lord willing, if I can get this downloaded, we'll put it up on uh, YouTube. We'll put it up on Rumble and then obviously on the podcast, RK Ministries podcast, where you can find anywhere there are podcasts available. So go to all three of those platforms, YouTube, like it, subscribe to it, uh, click the notification so you can get uh, notified when new content comes up and share it with other people. And then the same thing on Rumble. Just go like it, subscribe to it. Uh, whether you watch it on Rumble or not, or YouTube or not, because you're watching it here, most of you, that's fine. But just go over there, like, subscribe, and, and, and share it with other people as well. And then also on the podcast, uh, please go, if you don't do anything else, whether it's YouTube or Rumble, go to the podcast, like it, and subscribe to it. And then again, share it uh, as well. So with all of that uh, preliminary work uh, out of the way, let's deal with this first question about idolatry. And I'm going to try to be as pithy as I can on these topics since I have so many that I want to uh, talk about and this question comes from someone who's been reading through the book of Ezekiel and uh, talking about the issue or Ezekiel God is through Ezekiel warning it, uh, Israel about the judgment that is impending upon them because of their uh, idolatry you know, they're straying away from uh, the Lord and so I just wanted to start by reading the questions at the end of this um, this this paper that I got because that, that's where the heart of it is. You can go, you can go read, uh, uh, Ezekiel, uh, and, uh, uh, get the context of Ezekiel there. But I thought the questions were pertinent, uh, about the issue of idolatry. So let, let's just deal with, with these questions. And then, uh, I, I will share a couple verses, uh, 
in relation to the issue of idolatry and, and give you comments on what I think about the, these questions as we go. So the question is, first, uh, what is it that other gods are able to do that attracts people uh, that causes Israel in particular to worship, follow them rather than worship and follow Yahweh? And then the, the question goes on, the follow-up question, since there are a, actually no other gods, what is going on in idol worship? And so, <clears throat> is it, and here, here's again some of the, this person is you know, thinking through this idea, what are some of these reasons? Is it man's imagination attributing uh, the things of God to idols? You know, hey, I, th I think that that is a possibility. Uh, one of the passages that we that I have in there, I may not may or may not get to, is uh, Exodus 32. When you think about Exodus 32, where had, where had uh, Israel just come from? Uh, Exodus 32. They they're they're in the middle or in the beginnings of their Sinai journey or their wilderness journey. They've stopped off at Mount Sinai. They just come from Egypt. God has uh, sent ten plagues over Egypt, and every one of those plagues were against an Egyptian god. It was to show that there is only one true and living God and the pantheon of gods that uh, the Egyptians worship are false and not not real gods because God uh, demonstrated that uh, he is the one true God by bringing all of these plagues that would debunk their idea that these gods could do anything. And so in one sense, I think it is the imagination of hum human beings because in, in this way. Maybe it's the need for humanity to feel and touch and see, you know, to have that tactile uh, contact. And uh, one, one illustration comes to my mind. I'm, I'm a Trekkie. Uh, it's a little hot in my little room here. But I, I'm, a, I'm a Trekkie. And I love, love Star Trek and have watched pretty much every episode that there is of Star Trek out there. Now, I will caution you if you're a Trekkie on Discovery. If you don't have VidAngel or something like that to filter out, then you, you may not want to watch it. So I watch it through VidAngel because I can filter out the language uh, that is in there because for some reason uh, today they think that on TV that everybody just wants to hear a, lot of, a whole lot of cursing. But anyway, uh, there's one episode and it's... Uh, it's um, Oh, man. First Contact, I think, is the movie, the Star Trek movie. It's the Star Trek, uh, the second generation crew goes back in time to Earth to avert uh, the, um, <laughs> my, my little man's having trouble finding uh, that name again. Uh, oh, come on. It's right there on the tip of my tongue. I can see the Borg. There it is. <laughs> I can see the Borg cube. Uh, they're going back to thwart the Borg from making First Contact or at the time that Earth receives First First contact from aliens of through uh, the Vulcans who landed because um, they had uh, the, the Earthlings had just uh, made their first warp ship and done a test run uh, on that, and so the 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 Borg were coming back to assimilate Earth at that particular time, and so they went back and they had this rocket ship that they had turned into this warp ship, and you got Data and, and Captain Picard down there, and. Uh, Captain Picard, you know, he says, hey, I saw this once in a museum and I could never get to touch it. And there he was. He put his hand on it and he rubbed his hand down it and was talking about how emotional that made him feel. And, of course, Data, Data the, the uh, resident, um, you know, uh, 
robot, if you will. Uh, <laughs> he he said, that, "Hey, does tactile contact make it more real than it than it uh, actually is, and uh, real to you than it actually is?" And so Data puts his hand on there and rubs it down, and then he starts listing all the imperfection and things he feels. But the point is, we as human beings, we have a need to see and touch and feel. And Israel, in that context, for for four hundred years had been in a place where they had these idols, these, you know, images, uh, these things that they could see, touch, and feel. Now, granted, they're not real gods because if they needed to be moved, guess what? They couldn't get up and move themselves. Somebody had to move those idols. Uh, they couldn't They couldn't even help themselves. So, and God mocks that throughout uh, the scripture. But I think there is this need in our imagination that causes us to have this desire to set before us something that we can see because the one true and living God that we serve is spirit, right? God the Father is spirit. Now, he manifests himself in the flesh in Christ Jesus in the incarnation, but the reality is for even even those of us who are alive today that are Christians, we have not physically, like the apostles and those early disciples in the first century, we have not physically uh, seen him and so there, even though those uh, religious groups uh, who wear their crucifix with Christ still on the cross, in in my opinion, uh, we're we're pushing a little idolatry there if we're if we're not careful with that kind of uh, imagery. But anyway, with, with all that said, I think that's what happened to Israel right at the foot of Mount Sinai when God was giving the Ten Commandments and He was telling them, "Hey, don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Don't don't dishonor my name and." Keep, keep the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Uh, worship me reverently, rightly, and regularly. He was saying, so as God was giving Moses these commandments on how they ought to relate, ought to relate to him, they're at the bottom of the, mount, uh, bottom of the mountain um, uh, breaking the, the first four commandments because they said, hey, we don't know what happened to this Moses. Moses is up on that mountain and in best of my memory, he's been up there at least 40 days. And so he may be, he may be dead is what they thought. And so they said, we need gods to go before us. So even in that, you know, if you, if you think about it, they were associating Moses with God, right? He, he was the person that they, the go between the mediator, if you will, in, in a sense, for them to God, because you remember at the bottom of the mountain, they were there and God spoke to, to them. If you read Exodus 20, which we're doing, uh, we, we have two more, two more sermons, uh, or at least two more commandments in Exodus 20 as we're going through our series on the Ten Commandments at Friendship Baptist Church. And so if you begin that chapter, Exodus chapter 20, it says that God spoke these words. So it was God speaking to all of the congregation of Israel. And at the end of his speaking, there were, you know, when God was speaking, there was peals of thunder and flashes of lightning and those kinds of things. And it shook the earth. There was an earthquake. And the people told Moses, hey, you don't let God talk to us anymore. You go talk to him and then you tell us what uh, he, he has to say to us because they were terrified and, and frightened. But even then they were associating Moses with God. He was that intermediary, if, if you will. And when Moses was gone and dead, or they thought he was dead on the mountain, they said, hey, we need something. And again, I'm paraphrasing, but if you read the narrative in Exodus 32, you'll see that this was their intent, right? Wrong, wrong way to go about it, but this was their intent. Their intent was, we need something to go before us to, re, to represent Yahweh. 
And that's what Aaron explained to uh, Moses. They, they wanted, they, they had, no, he didn't explain to Moses. That he, he, they, they were going to have a feast to Yahweh and sacrifice to that golden calf. So for them, that, that golden calf represented, was going to represent Yahweh, which God had already told them. Don't do, don't do anything like that. Don't make any kind of images uh, that would represent me. So they had that need to have this visual, uh, you know, contact or visual thing before them to represent God. And I think that we, we still have that to today. We make a God of our own choosing. Uh, and I'm speaking in general as human beings. We always make gods of our own choosing, gods of our own uh, design. And I think Paul talks about that in Romans. We one of the reasons to get back to the heart of what this question is, you know, what these gods offer, what they do. Let me just read the rest because there, there's some in here about, uh, you know, Satan in his role. And I think Satan does have a role in causing us to want to worship idols. It goes on. Um, is it man's imagination attributing the things of God to idols? Is it deception? In that sense, I think it is deception to a degree. It's, it's Satan who deceives man and leads him into, uh, you know, false falsehood and false truth and false worship. Uh, the devil is a liar. Amen to that. Uh, he comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. He, uh, he create, creates doubt, as he did with Eve, right? Did God really say, causing doubt in God's word? So in that sense, I think Satan is, is very well involved in uh, idolatry to turn our eye away from the one true and living God to cause us to uh, break the the commandments that God set forth on how we ought to relate to him so in in all of this Satan is definitely pushing all the buttons to get people to to worship false gods or false idols or even I think as uh, with Israel even I think Satan's involved in impressing upon them the need to create something to represent God which God said uh, do not, do not do. <clears throat> so uh, I, I wanted to read um, Romans chapter one because Romans chapter one kind of gives us, I think, the, another real important issue we need to think about when it comes to idolatry and why it is that we do that. And, and really, we ought to read Romans chapter three as well, but we don't have time to do that tonight. Just write Romans chapter three, verses nine through uh, 18, I think it is, in your uh, notes, if you take notes, and go look that up and you'll see how it correlates with this first part of Romans, or the second part of Romans chapter one, because Romans chapter three talks about our depravity. We are depraved by nature, left to ourselves. We are enemies of God and our our nature is not toward God. It's always away from God. And so just listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. When he's it really leading up to that climax in Romans chapter 3. He says, for, and this is about the gospels going forth. Uh, for the wrath of God is reveal, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's the word, the phrase you need to underline to help us uh, understand what's going on. It's, that, it's by our nature, by our unrighteous nature. Unless God redeems us and justifies us, regenerates us, our nature is to suppress the truth of God. And ways that we do that is to create a God in our own, our own image, our own design, and to worship that, that God. And then he goes on, for what can be known uh, about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
So God's going out of his way, right? In Psalm uh, maybe eight or nine, it talks about that the heavens declare the handiwork of God. And there, there is no language barrier or cultural barrier to God's uh, general revelation of himself in creation. It transcends all uh, races and ethnicities, languages, continents, cultures, generations. God has revealed himself in such a way that man is held responsible for knowing that there is one true and living God. But what does man do? Because of our depraved nature, we suppress the truth that we know and we we will create a God of our own image, our own design, our own our own choosing. It goes on in verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Uh, ever since the creation of the world. In other words, everything about us screams that there is a uncaused first cause. There is a prime mover. There is a God. There is a designer. There is a creator that is eternal, right? And so, <clears throat> excuse me, in all of creation, it screams that to humanity. But he says, uh, starting over in verse 20 again, for his invisible attribute, attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Just creation around us and what it declares about God is enough to cause us to stand before God guilty when we suppress the truth that we know about who God is. Verse 21, for although they knew God, so it's not that men don't know that there's a God, right? That's why I say, really, there, there are no true atheists. Um, you know, you, you might make an argument for an agnostic who just says, I just don't know. But the Bible clearly says that men know. Men know that in the deepest plates of, places of their soul that there is a God, there's a designer, there's a creator, and that he ought to be worshiped. But what do we do? We suppress the knowledge that we know. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, there's the part that I think where Satan comes in, right? And he continues to darken the hearts of humanity. Uh, when, when humanity suppresses the truth of God, Satan just piles on, right? And continues to, to push us toward that, that darkness, which our nature wants to go. That's where our nature wants to go, uh, apart from God redeeming us. And then he says, claiming to be wise, and not what we do today, right? We claim to be wise. We know all. We know better, right? Claiming to be wise, they become fools, and they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. He gave them over to a debased mind. That's part of the judgment of suppressing this truth. That's why we see the debauchery that goes on all in this world today. That's part of God's judgment for people who suppress the truth of the knowledge of God that's around them. So I think my answer ultimately to what I've read so far in this question is that, uh, yes, it is part of man's imagination because we, we have this insatiable desire to to have tactile contact, something before us we can see, feel, touch, right? 
And then I think it is Satan who, whenever men by nature suppress this truth that they know about God, that Satan piles on and he continues to precipitate the lie. Uh, and, and men who think they are wise, right, think we are enlightened, right, uh, we begin to make a God of our own design and our own, and our own choosing. And I think, again, that's why, we, that's why we have what we have today with the, uh, the, the whole uh, transgender issue that's going on currently in our culture, homosexuality, all the alphabet mafia, everything that is encompassed under the L umbrella, umbrella of the alphabet mafia, the LGBTQIA2S+, um, all of the things that are encompassed under that alphabet mafia um, are at the are are the epitome of this idea of us thinking we are so enlightened that God is wrong and we are making a God of our own choosing and our own mind. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I think it is it is the epitome of idolatry because it's self idolatry. Because what are people saying? Hey, I was born. Listen, we these people have long since left science. Okay, long since. You think you think the Fauci's of the world had had manipulated science, right? Or the global warming people, or global climate change people? We talk about our the new term global boiling. Uh, the uh, you think they have left science? These people are far left science. Even 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 those people who were revered as scientists. Right, Tyson, uh, De, I can't remember his last name, DeGreasy, DeGreasy, whatever. Uh, you know, he had, he had his show talking about the solar system and, and going through the universe and all those kinds of things. And now he's on social media a few days ago trying to help people understand why XY and XX chromosomes don't determine what uh, gender and sex are. So how you feel. Now you tell me that's a person who's gone and been educated and supposedly uh, in science and he's done left, he's, he's left what biology uh, demands for us to believe, right? He's left true science and that's what all these people are saying because God created we, uh, people in a particular way. Male and female, he created them, right? Um, so hey, you can add this to your list. <laughs> Male and female, he, cre he created them and so a part of the created order is God's design of humanity in a um, you know binary gender, male and female. That's what we are. That's how we are born. <clears throat> and to get up and say that I don't think so. I, this is how I feel. What are we doing? We are suppressing the truth that God has shown us in the created order. Right? Look at every animal that's out there. Generally, in every animal, I say generally, every animal, right? Some people bring up seahorses or whatever and that kind of stuff. But, you know, the males just carry them in their pouch. It takes male and female. It takes a man and a woman to procreate, right? So, we, biology shouts to us that there are only two genders, male and female. And you are that gender by virtue of your biology, right? Your DNA, your, your chromosomes, and so to leave that is suppressing the truth that God uh, has shown to us in the creation that is about us. And they are making themselves a God unto themselves, saying that if there is a creator, he was wrong. This is, this is how I feel. So it is, it is right. So, you know, I, I think Israel, yeah, they, it, it amazes me that the difficulty for us about Israel, I think, is 
that Israel was given. They, they had a covenant relationship with God, right? And that God gave them the precepts of that covenant on Mount Sinai. And, and God explained and expounded on those categories of, of the covenant in, in the rest of Exodus and in Deuteronomy when Moses gave the law uh, again. And so you would think if they, if they of any people on earth would understand that there's only one true and living God, don't worship any idols. They can't do anything. You've seen and witnessed what God can do. These idols are impotent. They can't do anything, but yet and again, they continue to go back to these idols. And I think all the things that I've mentioned have led to that. Because you, you got you to gotta understand also, not everyone in Israel was Israel, right? You remember Paul, Paul tells us that in Romans. Not everyone who was born an Israelite is an Israelite in the sense that they are part of the covenant uh, family and they, they are part of the promise and they believe and have faith in the promise of God. So there, were always, there was always a remnant in Israel, right? While the majority may have gone into these idol worships and, and, and perpetuated all that, there's always a remnant. You remember God told that to Elijah, right? He says, I'm all, I'm all alone, right? I'm, I'm left by myself. And he says, hey, I think it was 7,000. He said, I've saved 7,000 for myself. You're not the only one. God always has a remnant. And Paul talks about that quite extensively uh, in, in Romans. So that that's uh, at least my take on idolatry. Let me see if there's anything else left on this um, on this question yeah th this is another one it's a it's a maybe a little, little different topic than than idolatry but it goes it, it speaks to satan it says satan tells jesus when jesus was tempted uh, by satan uh i'll give you all all this meaning the the, the kingdoms of the world is what he's saying. And, and I think that's the thing we've got to keep in our mind. He's saying, uh, I'm going to give you the kingdoms of the world. You all put Psalm 2 in your mind when you think about this idea because God had established uh, in Psalm, has established in Psalm 2 and in other places, but Psalm 2 comes to my mind uh, where it talks about how the kings and the and the rulers of this world want to break their bond, they break their bank, they break their bounds from God. They want to break away from God. All right, because God is omniscient, omnipotent, omniscient, right? He's all-knowing and all-powerful, uh, and God raises up rulers and puts them down. And he talks about later on with Jesus that he's going to, uh, he's going to bring all of these kingdoms under his feet, right? Uh, he's going to rule right. Daniel, I uh, forget, maybe Daniel two or four, I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but it's the vision in Daniel of the statue, and it talks about all the kingdoms of the world are represented by this statue. And then he tells Daniel, "Hey, there's there's a stone that's going to be carved out of this mountain, and this stone is going to is going to come down and pulverize all these other kingdoms, and this stone is going to become a great mountain, and it's going to become a great kingdom." Well, he's talking about his kingdom, and he's talking about his king, which Psalm two is talking about his kingdom and his king. And so, but there are passages in the New Testament, and I didn't take time to look them up. You, you, you can probably, uh, Google and probably help you find them. Well, there are passages in the New Testament that talk about Satan being the ruler of this world, or really the ruler of this age, uh, in, in the sense that he does roam around seeking whom he may devour. Uh, and we see those kinds of battles go on in the spiritual realm in Daniel as well, right? When Daniel's waiting for a prayer to be answered, God, God's messenger comes 
Yeah, I think it's Michael, but uh, or either Gabriel, Michael or Gabriel, one comes and he he says I was delayed three days because I was uh, in a battle, right? And so there is a spiritual battle in this spiritual realm going on, and there are kingdoms that are under the rule of Satan. All you gotta do is read Revelation. Revelation tells us that Satan is the one who rallies the kingdoms of the world against the kingdom of God. So in that sense, I think that it was a legitimate statement to say that Satan could have given this authority of these kingdoms to Christ. But here's the real reality about it. Satan can only do what God allows him to do, right? It's just, you guys have heard me say this before if you've been around me anytime. Uh, as Martin Luther says, Satan is God's, or the devil is God's devil, is, is God's devil. So in other words, the devil can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. So if, that, if Satan does have authority, <coughs> excuse me, currently over the nations of the world, then it's only because God has allowed him to have, have that authority. But the real uh, ultimate uh, thing to remember is that Jesus always has, has always had authority over the kingdom of the world. He's always been king of kings and lord of lords. And uh, anyway, uh, so in one sense, yes, that, that was a true statement, I think. <coughs> and I can't, I can't tell you I understand everything I need to know about it, but I do think it was a legitimate thing for him to say, else it wouldn't have been a legitimate temptation, right? And I think Jesus was legitimately tempted, and he did not sin. Because the Bible tells us he was tempted in every way that you and I are, are tempted. <clears throat> I'll give you all these things to go to say, well, was that a lie, a decision? Bottom line, what can false, uh, what can false gods, idols actually do? Well, the simple answer to that is nothing because they're not real. There's only one true living God. Now, can false idols uh, be ascribed to do things? Well, yeah. You know why? Because of demonic forces, demonic presence, because of Satan. Right? We read even about that in Revelation. He's going to mimic <coughs> the resurrection. Right? If you think about the, the, uh, the beast that is slain, and then he comes back alive. He's going to mimic those miracles uh, of God and try to mimic the Trinity uh, even in those days. So Satan can use these false items and animate them, I think, even uh, to cause them to look like they're doing miraculous things. But ultimately, they can't do anything in and of themselves. Uh, it is demonic uh, forces that will act upon and animate these idols or even do things that these idols get credit for or cause them to get credit for, perpetuating, again, the lie that we talked about uh, that Satan, the liar that Satan, <clears throat> Satan is. So, uh, hopefully that at least gives you my thoughts on idolatry and why we are so bent on it in, in humanity because God's caused us to be, created us to be a people to worship. Right. And so we, we, but we think we have to have something set before us. And when Jesus told us that we, we ought to worship God in spirit and in truth, right? Because he is spirit. And so anyway, that's my spiel on idolatry. And don't think that, you know, Satan, well, I've already told you, don't, don't think that Israel was the only ones who were guilty of idolatry. There are many people are guilty of that today, even those people who may call themselves Christians today. There, there are times that we put things that are uh, uh, far more important in our life above God. And so that, that's transitioned to, to number two, and that's aliens. And I thought about aliens because of what's going on in the news lately, right? We had the, quote, whistleblower who's come forward saying, hey, the government's covering up uh, evidence of alien uh, existence, right? 
<clears throat> and so the, the thing is, you know, the, the questions that arise from that, because all of us, hey, I told you, I'm a Trekkie, right? I, I love sci-fi uh, in that sense, right? I love Star Trek more than Star Wars. Star Wars is good. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't send me the hate mail, right, or the hate comments. Star Wars is good, but Star Trek is more realistic. If you're going to, if you're going to have, and, it's, and, it, and, it, and it uses technology and science that we actually have, and then it expands on it to a, a, a great deal, right? Um, but there's always this element of reality in what's going on uh, there, and I get it. I, I know all it is, all it was, and all it is, like most entertainment today, is to take those situations of life that people want to talk about, whether it's racism or inequality or social justice or whatever it is, and they just put it in a sci-fi movie. Uh, and and people like it and watch it. But hey, right, what can I say? I like sci-fi, uh, Star Trek in particular. All right, so the, the idea is, is are, do aliens exist, right? How should we think about this as Christians? Uh, and, and there's one article that I, I saw the headline on. I didn't, I didn't read it, but I saw the headline on it that says, if aliens exist, how does, ultimately, this is my paraphrase of it, if aliens exist, how will religions respond, Right? And so I'm coming from a Christian perspective and a Christian worldview, so I have to wrestle with this question, do aliens exist? And if they do exist, then how does that impact what I know about who God is and what I know about redemption from what God's word is? And there's a lot of people who will look at this idea of aliens and, and we'll try to put it in a, couple, in, a, in a different category, right? We'll say, well, what we know about God from scripture and about redemption and all those things and what we know about earth since we live in such a small uh, piece of the universe, right? That's, uh, you know, billions and billions, trillions of, of stars, uh, like our sun and, and things like that. But anyway, uh, we, we live in such a small portion that obviously we can't know everything there is to know that's out there. And if God only talked to us about earth, then what's to say he didn't do something else somewhere else on another planet, somewhere out in the solar, not in our solar system, but out in the galaxy or the universe um, that we <coughs> inhabit, that he had a different program and a different plan for them. So how does that jive? with what we know about God, because I think we all have to come to the same place, if we're Christian at least, <clears throat> we have to come to this same fundamental place. And it goes back to the, the idolatry thing. There, there's only one true living God, right? We, we are monotheist as Christians. There's only one God. Now, what I have to explain about why I ultimately think I don't believe there are aliens out there, uh, we, it, it's couched in the issue of the Trinity as well, but we are one, we are monotheistic. We believe there's absolutely one God, but that one God, that one being of God has manifest himself or, or revealed himself in, in three persons, right? So there's one being of God, three persons. And again, I don't have time to unpack the Trinity for you uh, tonight. So if you got questions on that, that can be another topic for another day. Uh, but just suffice it to say, we as Christians believe because of the revelation of scripture, one God, monotheistic, one being, three persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. Uh, and the Son is not the Father, right? But they're all God. And so, if there is one God, then that one God created everything 
that is in this universe, not just the earth, everything that is in this universe. And we know that, right? We, we, we see that in Genesis chapter one, while it doesn't go into elaborate detail on the universe beyond earth much, it does speak about earth and it does speak about the, the lights in the heaven, right? The stars, the sun, the moon, and the Bible tells us why those are there. <coughs> the earth specifically in the Bible was created for habitation for humanity, plant, animal, uh, human life. And Genesis specifically tells us that the rest of the celestial bodies were there for signs and seasons. And it's how we understand what a day is, right? Uh, we have come to understand that the earth rotates on its axis and it takes you know, 24 hours uh, to do that, a day to do that, right? Because of, of its rotation, the sun seems, appears to rise in the east and set in the west on one particular side of the globe, while on the other side it's dark, and then that rotates, right? And within a 24-hour period, we see that because the sun is there and the earth rotates. And then we have the moon, you know, that uh, tells us about uh, a month, right? The moon kind of just helps us understand that it goes through those four, through those phases that we have of the moon. And it takes about 30 days to do that. And uh, obviously you, we can go on and on about the celestial uh, bodies, but they're there for signs and seasons and tell us days and months and even a year. We know it takes the earth approximately a year, approximately 365 days to go around, to make an orbit around the sun. So the Bible does tell us about those things that are outside of the earth and it tells us that they're there for signs and seasons. So, you know, on a very, you know, basic level, you could come to at least a preliminary conclusion that God set all those things in this universe as signs. But, you know, if you think about the billions and trillions of things that are out there, you still wonder, right? Could there be another planet like Earth, you know, that has this exact, um, you know, design for to sustain uh, to sustain life? Well, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I thought about when it relates to this issue of aliens and Jesus. Remember I talked to you about, I said that, that what I believe about the existence of aliens is really driven by what, what I understand about Jesus because of what the Bible says about the triune God. Because God created humanity, right? Uh, and God in creating humanity understood that the fall was gonna happen he already, if you read the Bible, you know, Revelation chapter 13, 8, Revelation 17, 8, allude to this idea that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. You know, he was, he's called the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So the, the implication is that God's plan of redemption was set in place before he said in Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. So he already knew what was going to happen on planet earth. And he already had in place God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, in eternity past, to, to use that human language, 
had already decreed, God the Father decreed that he was going to create humanity and he was going to save unto himself a people. And God the Son agreed, you know, to use human language, right? God the Son would come and take on flesh and walk among us and go to a cross and suffer God the Father's wrath against sin in order to appease God's wrath against sin, in order to cover over the guilt of our sin and to make a way for us to be reconciled reconciled to God and, and stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. And then God the Spirit, uh, his role was to come and to indwell those who were redeemed, to lead us into truth, to convict men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And so the Holy Spirit's role is to draw these people to Christ and help them understand their need for a Savior. So it's a triune effort to bring about the redemption of Humanity. All right. So I say it's an effort because God does what He says He's going to do. So He's not He's not trying to do it. He accomplishes redemption. But it is it is a Trinitarian accomplishment. All three persons of the Trinity are active in our in our redeeming in the redeeming process of humanity. And so, if you think about that, Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, right? He, he has always existed. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul uses Jesus as an example of humility, right? And he tells us to have this mind uh, in us, right? The mind of Christ Jesus, this humbleness of Christ mindset uh, in us, right? And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, emptied himself and he, and he stepped out of heaven, to use our vernacular, and he stepped into humanity and he took on the essence of, uh, he, he took on the form, the morphe, I think it is, the, the no, the schemate, schematic of a human being uh, in the Greek, and he took on the form, the morphe of a servant. And so the second person of the Trinity, eternal God, right? The second person, co-equal with the Father, always existing with the Father in, in John chapter 1, proston uh, theon, right? Face to face with the Father. So he was there in the beginning. And through him, all things were created. He's always existed. There's never been a time when he hasn't existed. Okay. And so at the appropriate time, as the Bible tells us, at the right time, the, the God the Father sent God the Son to come into humanity, into uh, being born as a human baby in the manger in Bethlehem. And he walked among us. Right, and he went to the cross, and he and he and he accomplished what he was sent to do as it relates to redemption. That's why he says on the cross, "It is finished." And then the Bible tells us, Hebrews tells us this, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. When he was risen from the dead the third day after dying on the cross, he had a brand new human body. Right, that those disciples could Thomas put their hands in; they could touch. They could feel. So Jesus maintained his humanity as well as his deity, but he maintained both after the resurrection. He is holy God and holy human. So it is Jesus in his <clears throat> brand new human body that is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we see allusions to that in the book of Revelation. He, we see the lamb as though he had been slain. And that's really a, 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 
a poetic way of telling us this is Jesus, the same one who walked among us, the same one that rose from the dead, the same one that Thomas put his hands in the wounds that were on his body, the same one that made himself known to his disciples on the road to Emmaus and at, uh, to the women at the tomb and so on and so forth. The same one that over 500 people saw uh, after his resurrection. It's the same Jesus in his human body that is seated at the right hand of the father and he will he is and the bible says he is ever interceding for us so the implication is this is the way and the form that jesus is going to be in for all of eternity <clears throat> and we have evidence of that in revelation Right, because Revelation, it is that same Jesus who comes back again. It is that same Jesus who pours out wrath on this earth, and it's that same Jesus who is with the Father in the new uh, Jerusalem, the new heaven, and the new earth. They are the temple. They are the light uh, that is there. It is. It is. It is. It is the Father and the Son in whom whose presence we will uh, worship for all of eternity in this new heaven and this new uh, new earth. And so I say all this to say that if this is the form in which Jesus came, God, right? Jesus came and took on human flesh. He didn't lose his divinity. He took on human flesh. And when he died and was raised again, he didn't lose his humanity. He got a brand new resurrected body that resembled the same body he had, but just in a, <coughs> a body suitable for eternity because in his earthly human form he can only be in one place at one time in this new resurrected form he could be in the middle of a room when all the doors were locked right and jesus remains this way for all of eternity so that leads me to two conclusions about aliens if aliens exist and god has made humanity and he's made a way for redemption and that redemption is solely based upon the human uh, beings that he created on planet earth so much so that he himself didn't take on any other form he took on human form and he will remain that way for all of eternity and this was his plan from eternity past right revelation 13 8 revelation 17 8 the lamb slain before the foundation of the world or the book of the lamb that was written before the foundation of the world. This is God's plan before he created anything out there. <clears throat> so if that's the case, Jesus came to die and redeem humanity, to die for and redeem human beings. And he didn't become anything else. So here's, here's my way of thinking about that. If there are aliens... I don't think there are, mainly just because of that, just because of that. But if there are aliens, and this, this, this is another reason I think that there are not, because if there were aliens, and this is the redemptive plan of God, then God has no redemptive plan for aliens. So either those aliens would have to be created perfectly, non-sinful, right? Unable to sin, so that they could be in the presence of the holy God or they are created fallible and flawed just like every other creature that's created in this world because of the fall 
and they have no hope of redemption because the only redeemer is Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus came to redeem humanity and not aliens. So at least from my perspective, that's why I don't believe they're aliens, right? And some of what, you, and another reason, you know, put, to put on my, you know, political conspiracy hat, uh, whenever the government comes out and begins to dangle something in front of your eyes and says, look here, look here, look here, is generally because they're trying to hide something over here, right? They want you to focus here and not look there. It's just like a magician with his sleight of hand. Focus on this, right? Uh, you know, the ribbon, the shiny, flashy thing while I'm doing something slidey with my hand over here that you're not going to catch because that's the trick, right? So I'm skeptical skeptical in that way. Whenever the government starts, you know, uh, shining, flashing something before your eyes and wanting you to look at it, they're hiding something else. All right, so, so I'm skeptical that they're aliens just because of that reason. But I think theologically, hopefully I've laid out a foundation for you to understand that I think theologically we can come to a conclusion that there are, that there are no aliens. So what could these things be? Well, you know, over, over time we've had plenty of, of um, technology that has that has uh, caused people to think that there were UFOs, you know, stealth technology and those kinds of things. You go on and on about the things that have been created that people may not have known what they were, not, may not have understood what they were when they saw it. Um, plus the whole idea of going back to idolatry, our imaginations and, you know, optical illusions and all kinds of things uh, that you could, you, there are just so many variables on when somebody says, I saw this, right, uh, as to exactly what they saw. I know they believe it, right? Uh, but, you know, it could be just technology that we don't know about when it comes to the crafts that we see, the, the flying objects or whatever they, are, they call them now, UAPs or whatever uh, they are. As far as the beings, if there are beings, and all you got to do, again, you guys, if you've listened to my Revelation thing, you know, you know my understanding about Revelation. I don't look at it as a puzzle book. I look at it as a picture book. Uh, and God is showing us why it is that we can have hope in the midst of the chaos and the, and the, you know, the tribulation and all the things that are going on in our world even today and what will come in the future. That's because he's still in control no matter what it looks like around us. <clears throat> but if you look at some of the description in there, you know, with these scorpions that come out, or these these beings that come out look like a locust and have scorpions tails and all those kinds of things that imagery uh, that come out of there and, and you know those are demonic those are demonic forces uh, that are in play and so you know hey the chief of demons was able to get into an animal and animate that animal to deceive Eve uh, who in turn deceived uh, Adam. <clears throat> so, uh, well, you know, I, I, I think Adam takes the bigger blame for that. But anyway, <clears throat> another story for another day. But what's to say that they cannot, could not animate these uh, animals or even appear in forms that are um, unique and different? So if there is anything like that, I'm going to chalk it up for a demonic activity. Um, and for the reasons I told you theologically about redemption, I don't think there are uh, true aliens in this universe. <clears throat> All right, moving on. That's aliens. Man, I've been going for 50 minutes now. Uh, I'll go, and then you guys can listen or not. Uh, you can cut it off whenever you get ready and come back to it. But one thing that you and I need to need to understand about what's going on in our culture today, it's nothing new. It, it was going on, it's been going on all of my lifetime. Uh, it started back, you know, 
I, when I remember, I, it probably started back in the 60s or, or, or earlier, but when I remember it in, in, in the 80s, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s, right? Growing up in the 80s, uh, the, the prominent thing of that day was homosexuality, and it, was, it, was about, it ultimately became about uh, homosexual uh, marriage and those kinds of things. And one of the things that was constantly being done to us as a culture, as it relates to homosexuality, and it's being done today, and that's word jamming. There probably there's probably a sociological, uh, technical term for it, but that's what I call it, word jamming, um, because they constantly berate you with this language that they want you to buy into, and it's essentially, it's like the frog in the kettle. Right, you you essentially you sit back in the kettle and you just gradually get warmed up by this this word jamming uh, that hot liquid that it slowly turns into warm and becomes boiling and before you know it uh, you're too late. Well, in society, there's a similar thing that happens over time when we we engage <coughs> or encounter this word jamming. It's because we begin to get desensitized in what they would do. They would slip in this language about you know homosexuality and homosexual marriage into our entertainment, into news. They would use this language all the time when they talked about it, and then they would slowly but surely you know put homosexual couples in uh, in television shows and in movies and those things until ultimately. It became the norm, and it was prime picking for those uh, who were in favor of it to have this, you know, massive vote on uh, homosexual marriage. And that's another topic for another day, which homosexual marriage is not real marriage. Um, Alan Keyes, you need to go listen to him somewhere on the interwebs. He's got about a two-minute, um, you know, uh, definition of what marriage is in one of his little kind of interview debates with Barack Obama during that day. And it's worth the listen if you go listen to it. But marriage must have at its core the potential for procreation. Procreation in homosexual marriage does not have that as its potential from a biological scientific standpoint. And so they're still using that same tactic today. And here, here's my plea to everyone who is a Christian, okay? Everyone who is, I wish they, they could hear me and they would listen to me, right? I'm a nobody from nowhere. But I wish that they would listen to me and I hope that you will listen to me. Because this is how we have to push back. We can, we can no longer buy into the word jamming, the language grooming, if you want to use that term, the language jamming. We can no longer buy into the language that people want us to use. And what they're going to do is they're going to hold over your head that you're a bigot, that you're a racist, that, that you are the problem, you're the, you're the cruelest, meanest, you know, most wretched thing that walks on the face of the earth if you don't call a person by their pronouns that they prefer to be called by. We have to stop giving into the language jamming. We must push back. We must not buy in. And I wish these conservative television hosts, these conservative commentators, when the, when the stories of transgender, and even that is, is oxymoronic, okay? And when, when those people come before them or stories about those people come before them, do not give in to calling them by their preferred pronouns because all you are doing is perpetuating the lie. And I would make the argument that in, in so doing as believers that we are 
<coughs> violating, we are breaking the ninth commandment, right? Which we're going to talk about this Sunday, Lord willing, at uh, Friendship Baptist Church. We are perpetuating the lie. We are bearing false witness. We cannot give in to the culture. And it, it's not just about, um, you know, the, the alphabet mafia or transgenderism. It's, a, it's also about the issue of um, reproductive rights, right? And so the left frames abortion in that kind of language. Reproductive rights are women's health care. We cannot give in to that language. We must call abortion what it is. It is murder, right? We cannot give in to their language. Every time I see a tweet from Kamala Harris, and I get it, she probably never tweets anything. Someone does it for her, and she probably never reads anything that I put back in the people who do it. <coughs> it's probably a bot that's doing it, right? So uh, I, I'm, I'm commenting back on a bot. So, so nobody probably ever sees it, but I have to put it out there. Every time she says something about women's reproductive health, it's always couching the idea of abortion, which is murder. So I must push back on that language and remind them that we know that abortion is not health care. Abortion is murder. And how, how do I know this? It is, it, is, it is absurdly simple to understand that this is not about what a woman is doing to her body. It's about what a person is doing to another person's body. How do I know that? Because when the egg and the sperm come together, a DNA blueprint, a specific and unique DNA blueprint for that being is created in that moment. What do we use in our legal system today? Whenever one of the greatest tools, evidentiary tools that are out there is DNA. I know, you know, people could say it could be abused. But when the onset of DNA technology came on the scene, it changed everything, right? And we are unique because of that. It is our unique identity wrapped up in DNA. And at the moment of fertilization, a new, unique DNA blueprint is formed. And that is a completely different person. Yes, in some sense, there's a symbiotic relationship, I guess you could say, because that new person uh, needs the womb, it needs the uterus, it needs the nutrients that come from the mother. But don't mistake that that is the woman's body. That is a unique human being that has been formed in the womb of that woman. And if you, there are laws on the books. If we kill another human being, we call it murder. And that's exactly what abortion does. Now get it. We could talk in more in detail about abortion on another day. But I'm saying we got to push back on the language. We cannot let them get away with couching the narrative in their language. We must push back on, on that language. And so the, the next one in, in, is gender-affirming care, right? 
gender affirming care. They say that because they don't want to. They they want people to to they want to cover up what it actually is. Gender affirming care has to do with either injecting hormones in a person that is going to cause them to be a medical patient for the rest of their life, reversing what biology uh, has dictated should happen inside a human body based on its chromosomes. And so it is not caring for that person. It is stopping the natural process of God's created order, and it is causing that person to become a perpetual medical patient all of their life. Not only physical, it's going to cause emotional problems as well. And or it is the mutilation of the physical body of that person. So does it sound like gender affirming care whenever you are chopping off the breast of young girls or teenage girls or even, you know, hey, if they're an adult, they, they, I guess they have a legal right to make their own decision, but it's still mutilating their body in the name of this lie, in the name of this, this ludicrous concept that's going on in our world today. Is it gender-affirming care to, to cut off the private parts of a, a male child? No, it is the mutilation of the body. It is no different than offering them on the altar of, of, of Molech, in a, in a sense. You are devastating that person for the entirety of their, of the, their natural-born life. And we cannot give in to that language. We must push back. When they say that, we must call it exactly what it is, right? And again, I know I sound hateful and mean all the time, but I'm just passionate and emphatic about this. We must be as passionate and emphatic about pushing back as they are about jamming language down our throat. All right, quickly, the issue of climate change change right it's gone through so many names uh, in the 70s just uh, you know i was born in 1968 so in the 70s when i was a little tot uh, you can go back and watch old youtube videos of of television clips i think about even be dan rather that's out there and they were talking about a global freezing the new ice age is coming on us in the 70s all right and so here we are uh, all these years later now it's all global warming global warming global warming global warming they realize that the globe is not warming the way they thought it was going to warm <clears throat> and people wasn't buying into that language you're right that language jamming so they said hey let's come up with a better name an all-inclusive name climate change so now no matter whether it's cooling or whether it's warming or whatever it is it's all under this umbrella of climate change and i say it's hogwash because you, you, you tell me, now get it, hey, I get it, right? We, we can in some ways impact uh, our uh, solar system in a, in a maybe a microcosmic way, but not on, a, not on a global scale, I don't think. Because if you buy into their uh, idea of, of scientific history, right? If you buy into the millions and the billions of years, which I have a whole podcast that's talking about uh, why a Christian, you, you can say you believe in evolution, but you'll be contrary to God's word uh, and, and, and contrary to the, the theological. Again, the fourth commandment uh, is the fourth commandment is definitive on the fact that God created this earth in six literal days. Uh, you can't get around that. You can try to wiggle your way around that, but that is the implication of the fourth commandment. 
So we can't we can't buy into that. But anyway, there are those who do buy into the millions and billions of the years. Well, the whole idea is listen. The the cycle of the climate on the Earth has fluctuated over those millions and billions of years. We used to have an ice age, and now we don't. And there were no humans in during the time that we had the ice age, and there was a change. So it's ludicrous to think that we could do it. Not only that, CO2. CO2 is a primary part of the created order. It is necessary for our existence. Plants need it, right? When we breathe out, they breathe in, so to speak, and then they give us oxygen that we need. So you're telling me something that God set in motion that was is, is really a symbiotic relationship between us and plants to help us have the oxygen we need on planet Earth is uh, something that is uh, absolutely and completely uh, terrible and must be rid of. Not only that, there's so many other variables in this world that can impact the weather, right? And, you know, we all, we all joke, and rightly so. Right now in Alabama, man, it is hot, okay? And it's going to be hot for the rest of this month, right? It's going to be hot into December comparatively. But that's what happens in the summer in Alabama. It gets hot. And guess what? As the funniest man alive, James Gregory, has been known to say, uh, sometimes it's hotter than it was last summer. And sometimes it's not as hot as it was the summer before. It just gets hot, whether it goes in cycles. But here's something you won't hear about on mainstream media, but there was a Tango volcano that erupted, and it put in in the atmosphere over, I think it was 163, and I got it written down somewhere. What is it? 160,900 tons of water vapor into the atmosphere in 2022 i think is when this uh erupted that's enough for 50 let me see my notes yeah 53 um man i had it somewhere can't find it i think yeah you can go look at this the article but there's enough for 53 i think it was olympic size pools Maybe more than that. You have to verify that on the article. But it's an astronomical amount of water that was put into the hum- into the atmosphere. And you don't think that's going to affect the temperature on planet Earth for a season? Well, absolutely uh, it is. And not only that, go back to Al Gore. These people have made false you know, uh, prophecy after false prophecy. And what happened to false prophets in, in the Bible? If they were false prophets, they were stoned to death. I'm not saying you go out and stone these people to death. What I am saying is that they are false prophets. They're telling us lies, and then they ignore the lies that they tell and and keep perpetuating the same lie. Uh, Al Gore uh, said at some point that seventy there's a 75% chance that the ice caps would be gone by 2016. All right? Well, we're 2023. They're not gone. Hey, the 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 uh, John Kerry. You know why? Why is the guy such a long face? John Kerry, uh, the the climate czar, right now. He said back in two thousand nine that by two thousand four or by five years. In five years, he said in two thousand nine. In five years, we will have an iceless polar summer. Well. We're way beyond that five years. That would have been twenty thousand. That'd have been two thousand fourteen. We're way beyond that, and we still have polar ice so these guys one fabrication after another another fabrication jamming us with this language to scare us and to control us and how do i know 
that that is true. Well, look what just happened with COVID-19. How much of a control did they try to put on the American population? How much of a control did people try to put around the world on the population uh, of the human population? Well, here's what's happening over in Europe right now. And, and they've been talking about this for some time. Uh, it's probably earlier this year I first heard about this idea of 15-minute cities, which means that in those areas, and eventually it's coming, right? In those areas, they're, they're, they're going to set up 15-minute boundaries. In other words, you can't travel more than 15 minutes away from uh, your locale. And if you do that, or that block or that 15-minute city you're in, if you do that, you must have papers, and you can only do it so many times a year. Now, someone I was listening to the other day said that, hey, what's going to happen is if there are people who need to go more than that and they have the funds to do that, then they can buy your shares of being able to travel and they can go wherever they need to as much as they need to by buying your shares. And so you're going to have the elites and the rich buying people's shares to travel and the poor and you know the, 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 the lowly are going to have to be stuck within that 15-minute city. But it's all about control. And then they can use this as a means to enforce a climate emergency, right? Wherever they lock us down, because if we, if we continue to travel, if we continue to move beyond these boundaries, we're going to continue to destroy the earth and we got to get this under control, right? And so, you know, they're pushing that constantly. Now, I'm, I'm not doomsday or whatever, because here's what I believe. You know, God created this place and God's going to end this place. And guess what? God's going to end it with fire and brimstone. It is definitely going to be uh, some global boiling going on as the new term that's, that's come out of, uh, of the world leaders uh, today. The time for climate change, and I can't do their accent, but the time for climate change is over. It's global boiling that's happening right now is what they just, someone just said the other day in a speech that they gave. So that's just fear mongering. It is language jamming. And you and I need to understand God brought this world into existence and God's going to bring it out whenever he sees fit. And there's nothing that you and I can do that's going to change when that happens. Now, do we need to be good stewards of it? Yes. God set up humanity in the position of subduing it and having dominion over it. And we ought to be good stewards of it. And I get it, man. If, if there's a way to have power that is, uh, you know, more efficient and cost less money, let's do it. But don't jam that on everybody uh, just because you're trying to, you know, scaremonger uh, the whole of humanity with all these issues. But just be be looking for those things. Digital currency is just on the horizon as well. That's another way for them to get control over you. And you and I as Christians need to constantly, constantly be setting forth the, the truth of God's word and knowing we can't change this world by legislation. We can only, God can only change us. God's going to change this world through through one, his judgment and, and the wrath that's going to come. But in the meantime, we've been called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can so that people can come to faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Now, that leads to the last <laughs> topic, and maybe this is just one that you can, you can ponder on. And it deals with this whole idea of <clears throat> God's sovereignty, omniscience, uh, election. And, and, and what prompted me to this was this idea of this tweet uh, Soteriology 101 is the name of the uh, Layton Flowers. He, he's the guy who uh, kind of runs that and puts it out. He's over in Texas. Uh, I think he, he's part of the Texas Baptist Association, Southern Baptist. But um, he's real anti, anti-reformed, anti-Calvinistic. Now, you guys know, I, I tell you all the time, I'm Calvinish, not Calvinist. Uh, but 
you know, there are things I have to ponder and think about that cause me to be more more reformed than probably most people would like. And some of that, because one of the things that they talk about on there is this idea of human free will, right? Human free will in that um, it's like, again, not to, not to berate on uh, beloved people, uh, but... Uh, Billy Graham, you know, I think it was Billy Graham once said, it may not have been Billy Graham, so don't quote me on that. Uh, some evangelist has said that, you know, God's done 99% and you, you've done one, you, you got the other 1%. God's, God's done 99% of the work, you got to do the other 1%. So ultimately salvation in that scenario really rests on me, right? And rest on you, not on God. But the Bible makes it very clear that salvation is all of God, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for, for, uh, for uh, God... Uh, I was about to quote John John three sixteen, <laughs> for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves; it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so, in that passage, the implication is both both grace and faith <clears throat> are the gift of God to us, as far as it relates to salvation. Uh, but the the big battle is over God's God's knowledge, right, and and human free will, and the the ultimate question that we have to wrestle with, all right. And I'm not going to tell you I come to the to the to an answer to it. I, I mean, I think I think my mind is closer to understanding it, but there, there's an ultimate question that we have to answer: If God infallibly knows everything that's going to happen. And there are passages in the Bible that talk about that. Acts 17, I think it's Acts 17, 26, where Paul's at Mars Hill and he's preaching to those uh, Epicurean Stoics and, and Stoic philosophers. Uh, and he tells them that there is this one God who's created all men from one man and he has placed them in the time and it, within the boundaries that he desired for them to exist so that they could grope after him and hopefully find him <clears throat> so there's plenty of evidence and, and peter when he's preaching his sermon in acts chapter 2 he says that what happened was uh, to christ was god's predetermined predetermined plan it was god's plan for it to happen exactly the way that it happened and so the question is if god is all-knowing and omniscient and infallible in his knowledge of what's going to happen, then can man ultimately have a free will? Can I do differently if God already knows what's going to happen? That, that's the question to ponder. And, and I don't, it doesn't matter if you think of it from uh, you know, a foreknowledge kind of way where God looks down a quarter of time and he sees what's going to happen and he knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows every choice that every person is going to make, Right? If you take it that direction, the point still is that God has infallible knowledge of what's going to happen. If he didn't have infallible knowledge of what's going to happen, then it would be different than what he knows. And even if you take it from a deterministic perspective that God has determined through his eternal decree everything that's going to happen. The real crux of the issue is God's infallible knowledge of what's going to happen. It's the same thing for you and me. If we take, uh, you know, Kevin DeYoung has a good uh, article about this on the Gospel Coalition about, you know, God's omniscience and man's free will. If we <coughs> take a video of a game that just pre previously happened, right? Uh, I, I, I like college football. Alabama fan, roll tie. 
And so one of the things I like to do a lot of times if I miss the game or even sometimes, you know, just reminisce, go back and watch games that are on YouTube, right? Uh, and so if you watch those games on YouTube, you already know what's going to happen. The game's already been played. You have an infallible knowledge of everything that's going to happen in that game and it's not going to be any different. Well, the same is true whether it's in the past or in the future. If a person, if a being has infallible knowledge of what's going to happen, then what's going to happen must happen. It can't be different or else that person would have a different infallible knowledge of the future. And so, you know, the thing that always comes to my mind, and again, this is a question to ponder and, and it raises questions in my mind and I have to wrestle with things and I'm just throwing it out for you to ponder. If, you know, Calvinism debate, whatever, it's always Armenians, Calvinists, humanity, free will, right? If, here's the question that always comes to my mind, and I posted it on this Soteriology 101 uh, tweet, and no one has responded to this question. Because this is the ultimate question to me that nails down God's sovereignty and salvation. If God knew before the foundation of the world, which we know the Bible teaches he does, right? If he knew before the foundation of the world, every person who was going to ever, even if you look at it from that Armenian perspective that he has this foreknowledge where he looked down the corridor of history and he knows, okay? If God knows every person who is going to believe in him and every person who is not going to believe in him and he still decided to choose those who are not going to believe in him, doesn't that put us back to the same place that God is sovereign in salvation? Again, I know that's going to raise other questions, and I'm going to stop with that because I'm, we don't have time to continue to debate that. If you have a question about it or if you want to go into that topic more, maybe you have some scripture verses you want to throw my way, and we can talk about those scripture verses and, and hash, this, hash this out. But I think it's an important issue that we need to, we need to wrestle with as it relates to the sovereignty of God uh, in salvation. And it's just a question I've been pondered over the last few, uh, over the last few days in light of the things that I saw on online. So I'm going to wrap it up uh, with that. Hopefully this was helpful to you. I, I got something I'm going to be doing Sunday night. Uh, we're going to meet a family member and have, have a supper. So I may, if Lord will and I can, I may get on Saturday evening and do our Ecclesiastes, uh, continuing our Ecclesiastes study uh, so we can get caught back up with that. And the next week we should be back on schedule. So if any of these things that we talked about today raises any other questions that we need to deal with on these Thursdays, uh, just shoot me, a, shoot me a, an email or text or, or a comment on, on the Facebook. So don't forget YouTube like subscribe share rumble like subscribe share and go find us on the podcast uh rk ministries podcast wherever podcasts are available like subscribe and share so until next time um may the lord keep you and bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you uh, and hopefully uh if you're in the area i'm in i'm in you won't get blown away with the weather that's coming in at this moment until next time
Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast.